0: Good morning, everyone. Well, yeah, just good afternoon, everyone, actually. It's afternoon already. It's great to see you. For those online, it's great to not see you, but I'm glad that you're with us anyway. I want to pray and then we'll we'll head into the preach. Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you today and just express incredible gratitude for who you are, Lord God, even as we have sung about it this morning, Lord God, it is the, the cry of our hearts, Lord God, that you would have your way in our lives. Father, when uh, things are good, we want to be rejoicing and celebrating you for your kindness towards us. And when things are tough, Lord God, and rough, we want to be celebrating you for your kindness and your goodness towards us. We just ask that you would pour out your grace upon us in an amazing way as we um, go into your word today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So my, uh, the title of my preach this morning is When Sea Billows Roll. Um, when, sorry, when sorrows like sea billows roll. It's an old word, billows. We, we talk about billowing smoke, but actually what it means is a big wave. And so what it speaks about, is a line from a hymn, which I'll come to in a little while, but it's when sorrow comes upon us in these massive wave after wave after wave. And uh, we've had a week like that, to be quite honest. Um, most of you will know, but some of you won't know, that uh, Nolan and Geraldine's um, baby girl, um, El Hadassah, passed um, from this life to the next, this week on Monday at 5 o'clock. Um, she was born at 24 weeks, which is really early and very premature. Um, but she seemed to be really making amazing ground. For 10 days, she was defying everybody's expectations, to be quite honest, maybe other than Noel and Geraldine's. I think the expectations are always right up here. Um, and then on the Sunday night, unfortunately, she got an infection, which would be the reason why on Monday afternoon, um, as Jerry prayed for her and released her to the Lord, she went to go be with God. At the same, on the same day that Ella went to be with God, another family in the life of our church, um, uh, Tahoma and Matt, had a baby boy called Aaron, and I got to go visit them on whatever day it was, on Tuesday, I think it was, and uh, see their beautiful little boy and celebrate with them. And it was such a a, a contrast, such a reminder of how fragile our lives are, that um, things that, that are so beautiful and wonderful and should be taking place don't always take place in the way that we want them to. Life doesn't always work out the way that we would like it to. And uh, it's... It, the reality is that life on this earth can sometimes feel so fragile and even random. And yet if the, the Bible is to be believed, and it certainly is to be believed, <laughs> if it is to be believed, God has us at the center of his affections and his care. And this, there's a kind of tension here, life is fragile, there are things that happen that seem so random and yet the, the creator of the universe, the Lord God Almighty has us at the center of, of his affections. And David expresses this tension between who God is and our situation in Psalm 144, and I'm gonna read in a moment from verse three and four. This, we prayed on Wednesday in our Ignite prayer time. Well done, church, for showing up in such numbers for our prayer times on Wednesday. It's one of my favorite times of the month is when we gather like that. And I really, if you haven't been a part of it, come and be a part of it. You'll You'll be amazed. But God gave me this Psalm during the time of prayer And David says this, O Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. David, in the face of difficulties and challenges, and he had enough, he himself lost a child, is not fighting with God around the question of why did this happen? Why did this happen, God? Um, Is the question that comes to most of our lips when we face situations like this. Instead, what he asked God is, why do you care about us at all? Eugene Peterson paraphrases it in the message um, version of the Bible when he says this, I wonder why you care, O oh God. Why do you bother with us at all? Are we, all we are is a puff of air. We're like shadows in a campfire. And so why do you care is actually for me a better question than why did this happen? First of all, because whatever reason we could possibly get to explain um, what happened or we could try and put forward to explain what happened is never gonna be enough to take away the pain or will satisfy us for the loss that we face. There's no, there's no grand plan, grand scheme of things that we'd say, well, this is what it was. Okay, well, then I don't feel the loss anymore. The, the truth is that what we go through when we face trials like Noel and Gerald have been through or maybe what you've been through in the past, or what we might face in the future, that no explanation, no, there's this bigger plan is gonna be enough to take away the pain and the hurt from our lives. Secondly, asking God why he bothers helps us to live in a reality. It's, it's really helpful to live in a reality and not live in some sort of um, state of mind that, that doesn't reflect what's really going on around us. And that reality is that we are the created and God is the creator. You know, that, that um, understanding that relationship is both wise and necessarily humble in our part. Job came to understand this as well. I don't know if you've had the chance to read through the book of Job before, but it starts off his life's all amazing. He's got bags full of children. His wealth is like amazing. He's got um, an okay wife. Later on, we find out she's a bit rough to him. But I don't know, maybe she was, she was amazing in the beginning as well. But um, then he, disaster hits him. He loses everything. All of his wealth is gone. All of his investments are gone completely. He had, um, his, uh, all of his children die. And then to add to that, he begins to get sick himself. He's, he's, he, he loses even his own physical health. And he, he comes before God, and he's having this conversation with his friends, and it's going backwards and forwards. And they're trying to say to him, look, Job, you're a, you're, a, you're, a, you're a dirty sinner, Job. That's why this has happened to you. And he's, no, 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 I'm actually not. Like, you don't know how I live my life. I, I, I really, I live righteously, as righteously as I could before God. It's not fair that this has happened to me. In fact, all I want is a, somebody to arbitrate between me and God, to be able to give me an explanation for why this has happened to me. Because he's asking the why question. Why is this happening? And in verse one of chapter 10, he says, I am disgusted with my life. What he's saying is my life sucks. It is so hard. I'm, I'm overwhelmed by anguish. You can imagine the grief that he went through, the loss of his children. I'm overwhelmed by sorrow and, and like everything is against me. Let me complain freely. My bitter soul must complain. There is a, there's a bitterness that had begun to take a hold of Job. He was he was coming into a place of despair and of hopelessness. That after all the conversations have gone backwards and forwards between Job and his friends, we come off to 37 chapters. Finally, in chapter 28, God speaks for the first time. And then he says this, it says this in verse one. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this, speaking of Job and his friends, that darken counsel by words without knowledge? In other words, you do not know what you are talking about. Dress for action like a man. Stand before me now. Don't go hiding now. If you're, so, if you're so sure of yourself, stand before me, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, Job. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid the cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Now friends, we are free to lament. We are free to moan and to groan in the midst of difficult circumstances. David does it again and again and again and again in the Psalms. They are called the Psalms of lament where he starts of like, where are you God? Uh, the, the famous Psalm, I think 22, where Jesus quotes upon the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he always lands in the place of faith, acknowledging that God is both just and good. There's, there is a journey. There's a, some people think that like the walk of faith is to deny that our feelings are there. So if you're feeling anger or you're feeling sad, you just go, uh, no, I'm not. I feel, I feel something else. You can't deny your feelings are your feelings. They're what you you at that moment in time are enduring and you've got to face up to that. But there's a difference between acknowledging your feelings and being led by your feelings. And David acknowledges his feelings, but he's always led by his faith. And our faith always leads us to the place where we land upon God as good and God as just. And also we land upon the place where the questions that cannot be answered are left in the realm of God's concern. There are some things we won't know the answer to. It is the glory of God, says Proverbs 25, verse two, to conceal a matter. 1 Corinthians 2, 16 says, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? We missed out the first two verses. We read verses three and four that talk about the frailty and the fleeting nature of mankind. But verse two affirms the nature of God and his kindness or his benevolence towards us listen to this psalm 144 and verse 2 says he is my steadfast love and my fortress my stronghold and my deliverer my shield and he in whom I take refuge he is my steadfast love and my fortress what a verse to meditate on what a verse to memorize i, I can I've actually Said to myself that over the time I leave, I want to take this verse every single day, and I just want to spend some time just allowing it to wash over me. Because although this world is fragile and fickle and things seem to happen that are random, God is not random, God is perfect. That that phrase, my steadfast love, is translated in the in the New Living translation as my loving ally. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? God is my ally. Like, like, when I'm in a fight, you know what I need? I need some allies. Well, I've got a loving ally. The new King James Version says, he is my loving kindness. And the Lexham English Bible, I've never read it in my life, that translation, but I found this um, version says, he is my loyal love. I love that. That's, how's that for a name for God? You are my loyal love. And so friends, when we are fleeting and fragile, God is steadfast. When we are, Fragile, God is a strong fortress. And so it's not a cop-out to trust in his nature when the answers cannot be had. Some people say, Rob, you just need to, it's it's not good enough to say um, that that we can't ask the question, why does this happen? And you can obviously ask the question, but so often the answer is never gonna be enough to satisfy us. But it's not a cop-out to say, you know what? I trust in the nature of God. I do trust in the fact that he is loving and just. He is my steadfast love. And when we do that, we choose not to embrace or entertain despair and hopelessness. There's a big difference between being sad, between grieving and being in anguish, and embracing despair and embracing hopelessness. You've seen some people that seem to sink between, beneath the quicksand of despair. It's like they can't breathe anymore. They can't function anymore. There is no joy left in their life because they've Sunk completely in this. I think this is where Job was going when he says, let me complain, the the bitterness of my soul must be let out like this. It's like God has not called us to have bitterness of soul. And so what we do in this situation is we leave those um, unanswerable questions in the hands of God. And we then say, Lord, what is our responsibility? How do we respond in a situation like this? How do Noel and Jerry respond? How do we as a faith community respond? How do you respond in your situation? What is that tragedy that you've faced, have faced in the past, or maybe a God is preparing you for something that will still to come in our future? Four things. Number one is we mourn and we grieve. Ecclesiastes three verse one and two and verse four says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. One of the scriptures says that laughter is medicine for the soul. And I I believe that's true, don't you? There's some moments where you get together and you just begin to laugh. And it's like you leave that place and just feeling like you've you've had a nice warm drink or something like that. Your soul has been refreshed. Um, I think tears do the same thing. I actually mentioned the first meeting that I bet you there's a study somewhere showing that when you cry, it actually has a physical benefit to you. And uh, Ethan, obviously lost track after that point, and went online and searched it while I was preaching, and came back to me after the meeting and said, "It's true. It actually does happen. When you cry, it releases something into your physical body that actually works at healing you and healing your, your, the way that, healing us. And so we don't have to feel guilty. When we feel tremendous sadness. And I I've known of people that have had great losses that they just find that they're absolutely fine. And then days might go by, weeks might go by, and suddenly there's this day where they just weep and weep at the loss. It just comes back upon them like a wave again. And that's okay. We don't have to feel guilty about mourning and grieving. It's something God's given to us. Actually, it's a gift to us to bring us through to wholeness again. I think if COVID's done anything, it's it's cut off the normal mourning and grieving processes that we went through for so many people who were separated from their family at the times when they most needed them to go through the grieving process. Jesus wept. In the shortest verse in the Bible, it says Jesus wept and the situation was Lazarus had died. Jesus wasn't crying about that. In fact, Jesus knew he was sick and he could have gone to him before he even died, but he said to his disciples, let's wait. There's something glorious that needs to happen here. And so he waited until Lazarus had died, and then he went to go to where Lazarus was. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, Martha first came out and ran towards Jesus and said, Lord, if you'd been here, he said, Mary, he said to him, Martha, don't you believe? And she says, I do believe. You are the resurrection and the life. And when this is all over, we will be resurrected and live with you for all eternity. What a theologian Martha was, wasn't she? She understood that from the very outset. I don't think even other disciples understood that yet, but she did. And then Mary comes to her. Mary doesn't care about theology. Mary Mary doesn't care about, she just knows she lost her brother. And she is heartbroken because her brother is gone. And she is weeping. And Jesus, it says, Jesus wept. He didn't weep for Lazarus because he's gonna raise him from the dead in a short time anyway. And he knew he was gonna do that. That was his plan all the way along. He weeps out of empathy for Mary. He understands the pain and what she's going through. And so he laments with her. He mourns with her. And I I want you to know, friends, that as you go through your grief, that God is, is weeping with you, not because he doesn't know there's an amazing outcome still to come, because he understands your pain and he grieves with you in the midst of that. Our feelings are real, and it's no good ignoring them. We, we, God gives us people around us that we can talk to, and He's always present that we can talk to Him as well. And these friends that we have are part of God's healing process in the morning. I was with the Arabic congregation yesterday preaching there, and um, one of the ladies in the church, one of the leaders, amazing ladies, she said, you know, can I say something? It was... We were doing a Q&A time afterwards. and said, it's not related to what you preach on, but I just want to say something. He said, I've never seen a family gather around people and care for them like this church has done with Noel and Geraldine. And that's why God puts us into families. That's why we're supposed to be in a place because we need a community to be able to mourn together with. Number two is we hold fast to peace. You know, there's that sense that we have, we call it peace when things are all going well. That's easy peace. That's easy peasy peace. It's like, that comes, when your bank account's full and your kids are adoring you and your wife's looking amazing and your husband looks like whatever he's supposed to look like these days, I don't know, whatever the guy's name is. Um, when, when your job's amazing and you're just getting promoted and you're only working two hours a day or something like that. And you go, you know what, I'm amazing because I've got peace. Nobody, that's called easy peace. That comes, to, anybody would have that, that kind of peace in that situation. That's not what Jesus was talking about in John 14, 27 when he says, my peace I give to you. See, that peace that he's talking about is supernatural. It's not circumstantial. When, when our life is down here, we have that peace. When our life is up here, we have that peace. We are settled And it's a sense of confidence, that assurance we have that it will work out in the end. No matter what happens in the end, it will work out. And I've said, yeah, peace follows trust, not the other way around. Some people say, Lord, give me your peace and then I'll trust you. No, no, my, my friends, you trust him, then you get the peace. Paul instructs us about this in his letter to the church in Philippi, when he says to them that when you have, when things are not going good in your life, so whether it's relatively small or massive, in fact, I was chatting with a guy this week and he was saying to me, he's going through a tremendous trial with his family. I mean, a very, very serious situation that he's facing. And he said to me, like, at times I'm overwhelmed by the anxiety, but you know what he says? I know that even if I didn't have this, all that would happen would be the little things would become the things I'd be anxious about. I'd be anxious about the lawnmower not working or the dishwasher broken. It's like we find things to be anxious about. And all I'm saying to you is that regardless of what spectrum you're on, whether it's you getting yourself wound up about a dishwasher or you're facing some genuine tragedy on this side here, Paul says, do not be anxious about anything, but present your prayers and your requests to God and with thanksgiving, and his peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. And minds in Christ Jesus. And in, in, in my imagination, I actually see like, like peace, like a security guard waiting at my heart. Like there's a little soldier here by my heart and a little soldier here by my mind. And when anxiety comes in, peace cocks his double barrel shotgun like this. And says, Who's this coming in here? And anxiety says, it's me, anxiety. It's me, despair. And he's just two barrels into anxiety, two barrels into despair. He's guarding this heart. He's guarding this mind. He ain't letting you in. And so God says we need to come to him with our troubles, bring it to him, but with thanksgiving. See, it doesn't matter, doesn't matter what we're facing. There's always more to be thankful for than what we face. At the very least, if everything else is taken away, the fact is that we belong to Christ, that he is our friend, that our eternal destination is secure, no matter What we go through in this life, it'll pale into insignificance compared to the glories that are still to be revealed to us. Sometimes we're not just to be thankful in the midst of our circumstances, but we actually be thankful for our circumstances, even the difficult circumstances. Now, I once had a couple in our church, um, they were a leadership couple, they left the church when I preached this before. I did it in a leaders meeting, they came and argued with me, and then within a few weeks they'd left the church. They said, "Rob." I cannot thank God for the, the negatives. I cannot thank God for the things that are going wrong. How can I do that? I want to give you an illustration here from somebody that's well-known, Corrie Ten Boom. She was um, uh, put in the Nazi concentration camps. And what, what many of us don't know is that she actually had a sister called Betsy as well. And they were moved from the one um, barracks to another barracks in the concentration camp that they were a part of. And when they went in there, it was, it was full of fleas. Now, I know what that's like. I remember staying at someone's house at one time and I sat down in the lounge and when I put my feet down on the carpet like this, they slowly began to turn black from my ankles up because the fleas were jumping from the carpets, literally covering my legs with fleas. It was the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen. And uh, so Betsy said to her sister, we need to thank God for the fleas. And she says, there's no ways I'm thanking God for the fleas. We, we sleep at night, they're biting us, they're, they're all over us all the time, we're covered in sores, how can we? No, I cannot thank God for the fleas. And so her sister got down and she began to thank God for the fleas. What, it, what happened is it turns out, is that this is a lesson that Cori boom learned from this, was that the guards wouldn't come into the barracks because of the fleas, they, they stayed outside. So instead of coming in and searching them all the time, instead of harassing them and stopping them from speaking, they were able to get their, their pieces of bible that they were able to bring out and do bible study and they were able to lead others in the barracks into saving faith because of the fleas and she learned that lesson you see friends there's a remarkable truth in the fact that god works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose not there's no point working the good things for good because the good things are already good so when he says he works all things, it means that the things that are bad, the things that we don't want in our life, God takes that and begins to journey us towards something that in the end we will go, wow, God, I'm so grateful that I got on that journey. It's like in a, in a short while, Linda and I are gonna go on a journey. We're gonna get into an airplane and we're gonna fly eight and a half hours to Durban. Then I'm gonna get into a car and I'm gonna drive another few hours to what are called the Drakensberg Mountains in Natal. one of my most... Beautiful places. We have a timeshare there, so like a mountain cabin. And in, uh, in a week's time, next Sunday, when you're enjoying your reps, <laughs> I'm gonna have my feet up, worshiping in the glory of those mountains. I know where I'm going, and so the journey fills me with excitement the whole way. Even though I've got to get onto an economy class seat in Emirates and be squished up for eight hours, I'm loving it. I'm loving my journey because of where it's taking me. And when you're in a situation where it is really hard and, it's, and it sucks and it's tr- even tragic and painful, you can say, God, I thank you for this because I know that you are taking me on a journey to something that is good. That's what you do. He moves us from one place to the next. And so we can begin to thank God for our circumstances even in the midst of that. In Psalm 144, in the first verse, it says this, blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He's training us all the time. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the the spiritual forces of darkness around us. And God is training us for battle against those forces all the time. The small trials and tests Train us for the great trials. There are things that have preceded this moment in Noel and Jerry's time that have prepared them for this time that they're going through. And the great trials are used by God to win great victories. The great trials win great victories. The little trials prepare us for the great trials and the great trials win great victories. The man that wrote the Psalm, David, he understood this principle. He was the, the, war, the great warrior king, but he wasn't always a warrior king. He was once a shepherd, and it was while he was a shepherd in that field, no one knew where he was that he learned to worship God. He learned how to trust God. When the lion and the bear came to attack the sheep, he trusted God, and he he fought them, and he killed those lions. So that when the time came for him to face Goliath, it was like, I know God. He's trained me for battle there, and Saul must have laughed at him. (laughs) David, you're a shepherd. You're not a trained soldier. You haven't been through the ranks. You know what we do with our soldiers? We teach them like kung fu and spear throwing and whatever else, sword fighting and all that sort of stuff. Like, what are you gonna do here? My hands have been trained for battle. My fingers have been trained for war. He was a worshiper. His fingers played the harp. He understood what it meant to worship God in the midst of it. And then as he faces Goliath, he says these words. He says, I'm gonna come cut your big fat, stinking Philistine head off. I paraphrase that part so that the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. That's why God does it. You see, God is training us. And as we go through the trials, as as we face a lion and our bear, it's so that one day we can face the Goliath. And when we bring the Goliath down, the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Number three, we acknowledge his worth. True worship, says John Piper, is a right valuing of God's worth. You know, like we can get like um, you, can, you can go down to Karama and you can go get a Louis Vuitton bag there. And you can think to yourself, I've now got a 10,000 Durham bag. You don't. Okay, it's a fake. I hope none of you do that. Do you go buy those bags? I'm just checking yeah. but But... But if you do, imagine you did have a, a Louis Vuitton bag, like a, like a 10,000 dirham bag, for example, and you didn't understand what it was worth and you, were kind, of, you kind of threw it around the back of your car. or there, You're, not, you're, you're treating it like it's a Karama special instead of an actual, uh, not I kid, I couldn't give a sausage about a Louis Vuitton bag. Um, but, but you're treating it wrong. See, when we rightly value God, it means that we're putting him in the place that he actually is. We, we know who he is. And he goes on and says, of course, The worth of God is infinite. This true worship is a valuing or treasuring of God above all things, all circumstances. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we hold on to, what's in our hands at any point of time, and it doesn't matter what's taken from our hands at any point of time. The true treasure is God himself. And so God is to be worshipped all the time, always in every circumstance. And that's why in Philippians 4.4, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. And so we don't wait for the morning to be over before we worship. We don't say, well, I'm gonna go through my time of mourning and then I'll get to my time of worshiping. That's when we spiral down into despair. That's when we lose our way. When on Thursday morning, we um, we had the privilege of taking Ella's little body, which had been lent to her for that short time, this little tent that she got to camp in. Her soul and spirit, of course, are with the Lord at the moment that she left that body behind. And one day she'll be united with her resurrection body, which will not be this one that she was in, because she will be a grown um, adult person um, in her resurrection body. But we took this little tent, and we, were, um, we had a time at the cremation center to, um, to worship together and pray together and just love upon actually each other, we loved one Jerry and Noel, but they were loving on us at the same time as well because as a community, we were walking through this thing together. And then her little body was put into this furnace, this cremation furnace, the, and, the, and the, you could hear the flames beginning to consume it. And while the flames were going, we began to sing, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things and to you are all things. You see, is worthy of praise in the morning, he is worthy. We put him at his right place because nothing, nothing changes it. God, you are here. No matter what happens here, yeah, it doesn't change the fact that you are here and you are worthy of all praise. Most of you will know the story of Horatio Spafford. Actually, you probably don't remember that name. It's another kind of, although it is a quite a memorable name, Spafford. Um, but he was a man who actually went through like, like a Job-like trial in his life. He was a lawyer from Chicago. He, he lived in the second half of the 19th century, very successful man. He, um, he had put a huge amount of investment into the property market in Chicago. And then the Great Chicago Fire took place in about, I think, 1871 or something like that. And his, all of his vestments literally went up in smoke and he was left with ashes. What a, what a setback. He was a friend of D.L. Moody's. And uh, he decided that he would go with his family a couple of years later in 1873 to go and uh, take a holiday in Europe and spend some time with D.L. Moody as he was preaching, the great evangelist was preaching around Europe. And so he couldn't go as it turned out at the same time as his family and he sent them off ahead of him. And on the 22nd of November of that year, 1873, another vessel collided with the vessel that his family were on and it sank. 226 people died on that vessel including his four daughters, Annie, age 12, Maggie, seven, Bessie, four, and his 18-month-year-old baby. Only his wife, Anna, survived. So he got on the next ship that he could to go across to her to go come be with her at that time with this great loss. And as they were sailing in the boat at that time near the spot where the previous vessel had gone down, the captain got him and showed him this is where This is where it took place. And it was there that he was inspired to write that. Now famous hymn, it is well with my soul. We sang a version of that, but the words he wrote were these. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea below's roll, whatever my lot, you have taught me to say, you've trained my hands for war, You've trained my fingers for battle. you've taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet or batter me, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control, that Christ has regarded my helpless estate, my situation, and has shed his own blood for my soul. Oh sin, my sin. Oh, the bliss, the delight of this glorious thought. My sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to his cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Oh, my soul. Lastly, our response to tragedies like these is to work while it's day. John 9 verse four says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. That night that he talks about is not some dark night of the soul. What he's talking about is when he will finally wrap up all time, when the end of the day comes, when the end of time comes and Christ returns and we are taken up into glory, we'll have no more opportunity for this work. There'll be no more opportunity to stay up late at night and pray or get up early in the morning and pray. There'll be no more opportunity to sacrifice your reputation as you share the gospel with people who would mock you. There's no more opportunity to give of yourself and sacrifice of your finances or your time that gospel may go forward. This life alone is a life where there's opportunity to sacrifice for Christ. Keep working in the face of great trials and tribulations. Keep the work of the gospel before you. Not only is it, is it fundamental to who we are, but it's also what God uses to heal us in the process as well. Some of you may have heard of the actor Kirk Douglas. He was certainly before many of your time. His son was actor as well, Michael Douglas. He was probably before many of your time as well. You probably don't even know him. Do you know who Michael Douglas is, Robin? No. That's so sad. Um, anyway, Kirk Douglas, I think... Um, if Dylan was right, it's um, I'm Spartacus. He was uh, in that, I think. I don't even know if he was. But if it's wrong, it's Dylan's fault. If it's right, it's me, okay. But Kirk Douglas, late in life, had a stroke and he went into a deep depression because of his stroke. And I remember reading a newspaper article about this. But because he was famous and he was a stroke victim, they asked him if he wouldn't mind going to a center where there were many people that had suffered strokes and trying to encourage him. And so he went to the center Remember himself a victim of a stroke, battling with depression because of what he's gone through. And as he began, as he went, there, he realized he had a role to play and began to serve those others that were suffering like this. And as he served them, his stroke, sorry, the depression lifted off of him like that. See, God has intended that we don't focus in on ourselves. Our life is not meant to be with us at the center of the universe like that. It's God at the center and we revolve around him. And so he calls us to keep our eyes on others. And so we might be facing some trauma and trial, but Lord, can you use this? Can you use this somehow to see your glory come? Don't allow the devil to convince you that it's not worth it. will the worship team please come up? When I was... Um, I, I had the, the privilege in God's unique timing of being able to be with Noel and Jerry at the moment when um, beautiful young Ella went to go be with the Lord. Um, it was difficult, obviously. And uh, they, were, they didn't just take it as if it was nothing. It was a, it was a traumatic moment. But um, in those last Moments as Ella's last breath her her chest was still moving like this, up and down. Um, Jerry put her hand on the incubator like this, as Noel hung over it, with tears pouring down his face. And she said, Lord, I release my daughter to you and into the kingdom like this. And then they um, they took all the wires off her body. She had passed at that point, wrapped her up, and Noel and Jerry held her for a bit prayed over her and loved upon her and handed her back. And At that moment, one of the doctors that had been attending and had been um, fighting for Ella's life came in and she said to Jerry, I'm so sorry. So sorry we couldn't do it. She said to her, we tried so hard. We tried everything that we could. And then Jerry began to comfort her. (laughs) Can you imagine? She began to comfort the doctor. And then she says to the doctor, now doctor, you're gonna do one thing for me, you're gonna promise me, you're gonna come to church. Never stop working. This message that we have, this gospel message, there's nothing on the earth, it's equal. There's nothing um, that is close to it in terms of its urgency. There is there is." Nothing you can do for another human being that in any way compares to the privilege that you have of taking this gospel message of our, the Savior of our souls to other people as well. Would you stand with me, please? Psalm 144, verses 1 to 4. I want to read from the message over you now, and then we're going to sing last time this morning, my fourth time, I could sing it 10 times today. It is well with my soul. Would you close your eyes, please? Thank you, church, for being amazing in this season. Blessed be God, my mountain, who trains me to fight fair and well. He is the bedrock on which I stand The castle in which I live, my rescuing knight. The high crag where I run for dear life while he lays my enemies low. Blessed be God, my mountain, who trains me to fight fair and well. He's the bedrock on which I stand. The castle in which I live, my rescuing knight. The high crag where I run for dear life, while he lays my enemies low.